Welcome to the 356th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with V. Castro, author of the novels Maria the Wanted and The Legacy of the Keepers, Hairspray and Switchblades, and other works of horror fiction. Stay tuned for my interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story one that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S., Check out Libro.fm today. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is V. Castro, author of the novella Hairspray and Switchblades, the short story collection Rigor Morbid, Less You Become. And Castro also has a story in the recent short story collection, Lockdown, Stories of Crime, Terror, and Hope During a Pandemic. Violet, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about Hairspray and and Switchblades yet, how would you describe the novella? Oh gosh. Well, um, you know, it's I'm I'm Mexican American, so it basically takes the werewolf trope and um, you know, I kind of make it my own within my culture. So, for example, um the sisters uh, come from a line of shifters, but they're jaguars. Um, and it's set in Texas, uh, which is my home state. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to create a unique world and a unique uh, kind of uh, experience for the whole werewolf trope. I think that's what Great. you expect. Yeah. <laughs> well, do you remember the original idea that led you to write Hairspray and Switchblades? Yes, actually. It was um, a, a short story. That was ex- accepted to a uh, anthology, which hasn't come out yet. I don't know if it's going to be released. I hope so. Um, and I just really fell in love with the concept. The character in the short story is a, a character in the book, but she's not the main character. And so I just went with that. I just went with um, uh, the whole kind of universe that I created, that world, and just expanded it a bit. 
Great. Well, you mentioned um, earlier at the outset that you're Mexican, Mexican American, and that shows up in in terms of the the uh, ideas for hairspray and switchblades. I'm just curious, how has your culture and your upbringing um, impacted your stories, which tend to be, you know, uh, crime or horror, um, because you know, uh, not to. Uh, to be negative, but but some of those um, anthologies aren't always the most diverse. I'm just curious how that shows up yeah. for you and what you think about it. You know what? It's it's you brought up a really good point about uh, yeah that a lot of pl- uh, anthologies and um, certain publishers are not uh, you know inclusive, and for me that's a real issue, and for people of color and women in general. So it definitely. Um, uh, it makes me want to do more. It makes me want to really speak out and, and talk about my experiences. So it shapes everything. It shapes um, the tales I want to tell. So, uh, for example, going into Mexican folklore and urban legend, um, it, there are stories culturally that I think need to be told and experiences that need to be told. And I think it's what makes um, my writing unique and my storytelling unique. And, uh, yeah, that's so it's it's a huge driver for me. Sure. Well, were there ever, were there ever any books or stories along the way that helped you see how you could use your your culture um, in these stories that you're writing? Um, you know what I so I grew up watching horror a lot of horror and you know scary stories to tell in the dark. Everybody's kind of you know childhood memory and horror. They've all grew, grew you know grew up on that. And Stephen King and, you know, Lost Boys. And, you know, I I took it in because that's all there was. But, you know, you get older, you live life. And I just think like, wow, what if you took that story, that trope that's usually predominantly white and made it something different? And instead of, um, you know, a demon, what about a god from the Aztec um, mythology what about or you know my ancestors were pagans there they had their own beliefs and rituals and what if that what if those characters were included so I always think about that and it just kind of I don't know I just it comes out it just comes out of my head <laughs> so sure. um you know I just announced today um in spring uh have a uh from Creature Publishing, a, a story, Goddess of Filth. And again, I use, um, there's an Aztec god, goddess. And uh, Flame Tree Press, I have another book coming out next year. And again, I dig into Mexican history and Mexican-American history, you know, farm workers' rights, uh, that whole change that happened uh, um, during also the civil rights movement. You know, so I, there's a lot of stories that, you know, my ancestors and uh, my family experienced my my great grandparents were migrant workers. They worked the field. So I wanted to bring that into the story because it is a part of American history and a part of a lot of people's lives. So but you don't really read about it a lot. So what has the reception been to your stories? Yeah, far? pretty good. Um, I uh, have a story in. Worst Laid Plans, which is an anthology that just came out from Grindhouse Press, and it's called The Kukui of Cancun. And a lot of people like it because I take the the um, the 
um, point of view is from the Kukui, the creature who, you know, Mexico is her her habitat, her home, her homeland. And uh, you have a bunch of spring breakers coming in and, you know, they have all these stereotypes about Mexicans and Mexico. And I just kind of wanted to address that. And so a lot of people, they're like, wow, this is different. This is cool. Um, once again, my, culturally, there's so many different uh, creatures and beliefs and ideas that just are not touched. And I think that's a shame because there are a lot of cool stories. Sure. Well, what are your earliest memories of reading and books? Oh, I mean, early, early, early was like uh, the Berenstein Bears, Amelia Bedelia. Uh, I think, you know, the typical. And then when it came to, you know, horror, it was the scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, and I watched a lot of uh, then plus all of the the books you have to read in school that are required reading. So I read a lot of really the the usual, what most people read, um, because also there aren't a lot of, well, back in the day, there's so many more now, there weren't as many middle grade and YA um, Latino writers. There were not a lot of Latinx authors kind of, you know, getting those big book deals and, and uh, it you just didn't have it in the libraries or school libraries. It wasn't being taught. So I basically grew up with a lot of books written by white folks, the ones everyone else read. Um, and those are my early memories of books. It wasn't until I was older that I could read uh, stuff like Sandra Cisneros and um, uh, Rudolfo Anaya, but that's all adult literature. Uh, so that was high school. So the sure. earliest, yeah, the, you know, things have changed, though, like for my children, you know, there are so many more Latinas in their, you know, writing middle grade um, picture books and uh, YA um, compared to when I was younger. And, and so what was your path to publication for writing and getting your first short stories <clears throat> published? Uh, what, what was that um, kind of driver for you? When did you decide that you wanted to write and then and then actually submit some of your stories? Um, I just, you know, I am a mother of three children and I've always been interested in horror and writing and storytelling, but I just never, I don't know. I, I just didn't have the confidence. And like they say, if you don't really see it can be done, it's hard to believe you can do it. You know, you think, oh, well that's, you know. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <sighs> that's, a, that's someone else's game. I, I'll never do it. But I just, I just decided to go for it. And... Um, you know, you write those few stories and you, you get a lot of rejections, but then you get better and better and you start also, um, you know, interacting with other people in the horror community and you make a lot of really good friends and you just, you just keep writing. You, you read their other people's works and you, it's just practice and submitting and trying to take rejection, you know, as it comes, it's not easy. Believe me, I've had like really, really low points where I just wanted to give up. 
but you have to kind of have grit and dig deep and just keep going. And that would be my best advice for any new writers is just, you know, keep going, put blinders on, especially with social media. It's really hard not to compare. It's really hard not to feel bad about yourself when you're seeing other people's journeys. You know, I even still, you know, I'm happy for everyone that, but you do end up thinking sometimes like, oh God, you know, what am I doing wrong? I'm not there yet. I can't, I can't seem to get there. But everybody's journey is different. You just have to keep going. So as you worked on getting your first stories published, were there any specific writing challenges that you had to overcome or figure out with those stories, characterization, plotting, or dialogue? You know what? I am a total just... I know I'm like the worst person to give writing advice. Like I could never (laughs) teach a writing course at all. I'm literally one of these people that gets an idea in her head while she's doing the school run or I see something or I hear a song and I just sit down and I just write it out. I write as much as I can. I empty my brain. I, I empty everything inside of me. Plus, you know, a lot of my emotions, things I struggle with, my past. Um, I take all of that, I throw it onto the computer and then something kind of happens and usually I let it simmer and wait. Then I go back and then it just formulates. I, I really, I don't outline. I don't do any of that. I just sit down and I just let it come out of me. I just go for it. Um, so I write the stories and then I go and I see, okay, well, where can this go? Horatry is a great resource. Twitter is a great resource for submission calls. Gwendolyn Keast does like a a round a roundup of submissions, and you just and sometimes you see calls and they're like, oh, we want stories about um, I don't know piranhas, and you're like, oh, I think I can write a piranha story, <laughs> and then you just sit down and you think of a piranha story, and then you submit it if you can get it in on time, um, you know, because there's a lot of times I just miss submission calls because the story isn't happening or you and so the person that you just mentioned Gwendolyn the the yes. person you just mentioned Gwendolyn is that on Twitter or where is Yeah, that Gwendolyn Keith, she you can find her on Twitter, she has a blog, she's on yeah, I don't know if she's on Instagram, she might be on Facebook, but mostly Twitter. Um you know, she's she's a fantastic writer. She's a Bram Stoker award-winning author. Uh, she's great. So she you can always go to her blog and look at the roundup and um, also horror tree. Great. Well, do you uh, show your short stories to anyone before you hit the button to submit them? Or have you ever worked with any critique groups? I've never worked with critique groups um, just because I don't have time. I have sent short stories to um, other authors for advice or just like to give it a look over or um, when I have one, a, when I have time or two, I just remember to do it. Cause sometimes it's, I, I work like to the wire <laughs> and, uh, but, um, yeah, if it's something I really, really want, then I will. Um, because you know, you, you want those extra eyes, but sometimes I don't. So, but it is helpful. It It is helpful if you can have someone look at it, but you also need to give it enough time because you can't just expect someone to, you know, other people have lives and their, their families and work. So you need to give them enough time to read it in their own time. 
Sure. I wonder if you use any tips or tricks for yourself. If you have an idea for a story and you sit down and it's not going the way that you would like it to, or do you just kind of um, tune all that out and just kind of throw it out on the page as you said earlier? Yeah, I typically um, throw it out on the page. If it's not working or I've hit a, if it, I've hit a wall, typically what I do is I just leave it in the folder and I let it go for like however long I need to. Um, I go, I move on to other projects and then I, occasionally when I have some downtime, I will go into my folder of short stories and I go straight down the line of the ones I know are unfinished and I reread them. And if you give it enough time, you're seeing it with fresh eyes and you get a new idea and it just kind of, and that's typically how I finish my stories. So do you have favorite horror writers at this point that inspire you or either crime writers? You know what? I, I really say all the women writing horror today are amazing. I think, you know, they are, they're smart, they're resilient, they're um, supportive, all of them. Uh, I've, I'm really behind on my reading because I've had a, a lot of editing and deadlines to make. So, and then with, you know, lockdown, I've had my children. So it's kind of like, you know, they see you with a computer or a, God forbid, the Kindle. It's like, nope, it's time to ask for something. <laughs> so uh, it's it's been a challenge. But I have to say, horror, women in horror right now, they're really, really just kicking ass. They're doing amazing. And same with crime. Great. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed and that you would mention? Oh, God, what was the last? So I read Sonora Taylor's Seeing Things, and that just came out, and that was really good. Um, and it came out not too long ago, and uh, I did a blurb for it, and it's just like nice uh, mystery, horror, supernatural. It's... um. Yeah, I liked it. It really is. It's creepy. Um, I will mention. Uh, so Sonora and I started a website for women in horror called Fright Girl Summer. And there's about 15 stories on there. And they are all amazing. All these women, if you go to frightgirlsummer.com, all these short stories are fabulous. I mean, you have um, women from all different parts of the world, from all different walks of life. Um, all these short stories, that's what I've mainly been reading are these are short stories for Fright Girl Summer. And those are fantastic. So, I mean, you should go on there and read um, those if you get a chance. Um, but Seeing Things by Sonora was the last one. Yeah. Great. Well, what are you working on now? Um, I am polishing stories for deadlines. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. So I have two that need to go to Flame Tree Press for my uh, short story collection. The collection's complete except for these two stories. Um, that needs to, those two need to go in. And then um, I am polishing a story to submit tomorrow. And then I will probably um, jump into a novel and two stories that I've, or three stories I've been asked to write short stories for anthologies. Great. Well, how is the, <laughs> what's up? <that>? Busy. <laughs> yes. It's yes, good. Very. 
<laughs> so how has the pandemic impacted your writing? Again, you know, when you are a parent and your kids are at home, it's very challenging because, you know, you're, you have food to prepare for them. Um, they want to be entertained. There's, there was the homeschooling. Um, I mean, that is basically just not having as much time in the day where you can just sit down and write for like a solid few hours. So I've had to really chop it up and just whenever I can get stuff done. That's the main, main, um, main thing that's changed with regards to the writing. Great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your stories and novels? Yeah, um, I'm at V Latina London, all one word, uh, V Latina London on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, I have my uh, website, vvcastro.com, and then we have Fright Girl Summer, uh, where women in horror, any, you know, women in general who want to submit anything horror um, can, or dark fiction even, uh, can submit stories essays, artwork, it's all to support uh, women, you know, uh, in publishing. Uh, so you can go there as well. Um, but yeah, that's how you can find me. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with V. Castro, author of the new novella Hairspray and Switchblades. The novella is available now, so go buy a copy. And V, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much, Jeff, and have a great day and a great week. Thank you. Great. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.